This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Love of the Star podcast. I'm Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That is your radio flagship home of the Dallas Cowboys. Joined, as always, by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout Brian Broaddus. He is now the co-host of the G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That's 2 to 7 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can also catch him as the pre- and post-game co-host on the Dallas Cowboys radio network during the regular season. Uh, and he is also the co-host of the seasonal draft show on DallasCowboys.com. Brian Broaddus, how are you today with your your beautiful pennant set up behind you? How do you like that? I don't know if people, do they actually get to see us or is it just all voice stuff now? Some of the, the YouTube people will still see us. Oh, cool. Well, uh, YouTube people here, welcome to my world of uh, my uh, new backdrop with all my pennants. These are pennants that I used to uh, collect when I was a kid. Texas Stadium family season ticket holder, 1971 through 1992. So every time that I went to Texas Stadium, I would get a new pennant. So these pennants go all the way back from those days. And then behind me is me and my Super Bowl trophy in 96 after the game. That was that. And then uh, some LSU stuff kind of floated in between all that. So that's my new backdrop. I'm always impressed when people have like these really cool backdrops like Desmond Howard during the pandemic. He had like his Heisman trophy and then he had the Super Bowl MVP trophy right next to that. I was like, okay, yeah, what a flex right there. But uh, good to be with you as always, Robert. Happy Father's Day as we we tape and and happy Father's Day whenever you folks, uh, whenever you gentlemen listen to this. Uh, we wish you all the very, very best. So I got to ask you real quick, since you do have the old pennants there and they are single bar face masks, yeah. what uh, what one NFL player, because to me the answer is easy and it's probably just from when I grew up, but what one NFL player do you think of when you think of the single bar face mask? I always think of Joe Theismann. Okay. I think of Gary Anderson. And Gary just, Anderson, I, the kicker, yeah. Joe th- he's the last one doing it when I oh, was. Oh, man, I could, I could go way, 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 way back to some of those quarterbacks back in the day, but to me, I always think of the one. Laoti sig- Tavares just homered. Brian, I'm go. just giving you a Rangers update. Rangers well, update. I'm all about- the Rangers are now up 10-7 in yeah. the seventh inning. Laoti's swinging a great bat, by the way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, 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 I always think of, uh, like, Joe Theismann. Uh, you know, was one that I always the, the old the old punters and kickers used to be the guys that always wore the single bar ones. But Joe Theismann was my guy for not my guy, the guy I think of when uh, I think of single bar helmets. Don Maynard goes back. That's the old Joe Namath receiver back yeah. in the uh, back in the late sixties. Man, they they you know heck I, I I never saw a game where they didn't have a face mask, but I saw where it was pretty darn close. 
I, I was a part of some games where it was pretty, pretty close. So as we jump into the show, we've got a couple different things for you guys today. We are going to uh, continue the roster inventory. We'll be doing that next segment. That'll be the pass catcher. So receivers and tight ends. Uh, and then, of course, a little bit later on, we're going to do the uh, listener mailbag, the Dean Julia Love of the Star mailbag. Before we get into that, though, the Cowboys did make a hire over this weekend, Brian. Uh, they have hired Sarah Mollipai, and she was a strate- or she was actually a player personnel analyst for the Ravens since 2019. She has been mm-hmm. hired according to ESPN Seth Walder as a strategic football analyst. She actually got her start on Twitter. She was in analytics Twitter community, uh, and she participated in the big data bowl a few years back that the NFL puts on, uh, impressed a number of folks there with some of her uh, analysis and, and her work on um, basically heat zones with the passing game to see where where quarterbacks have the most success and where they like throwing the ball to, what direction, what part of the field, things like that. Um, and so she impressed some folks and, and you know, uh, has a, a – uh, a sharp background in terms of when you look at analytics and, and things like that. And so she was hired by the Cowboys or, or she was hired by the Ravens uh, brought along over the last couple of years and worked with them really closely in the personnel department area. And now the Cowboys will bring her on uh, as Seth Walter reports under that title that we just mentioned, strategic football analyst. So Brian, she was taking part in a panel discussion about analytics and football last March. Um, it was part of ESPN's uh, sports analytics conference that they do in partnership with MIT. And I wanted to play some of these clips just so that the listeners can familiar familiarize themselves uh, with Molly Pie and get the idea of what kind of thought process she's bringing here to the organization. We'll discuss some of these things ourselves. The first clip here, Brian, uh, this is Sarah Molly Pie talking about where there has been some resistance uh, to analytics in the NFL, where she's met some resistance from folks uh, from folks in terms of the job that she's trying to do. Something that I hear kind of often outside the building is that analytics works in a sport like baseball because the people on the field, you can kind of isolate them. It doesn't work in a sport like football because it's 11 moving people together. And I think that that was always kind of weird to me because, you know, we use modeling and analytics in fields like economics and finance and healthcare, And those are fields with a lot more unknowns and a lot less constraints. And we still use modeling there. And what I mean by unknowns and constraints is so in football, you're you're constrained to 11 people on the field and all of those people are playing one to three different positions. You know, this is your doubt and this is your distance. You have 15 minutes and a quarter you're constrained in that way. And then the unknowns, when you model, I think we're lucky that those don't really have to be unknowns. Mm-hmm. That's where our coaches and our scouts, they have their subject level expertise and they come in and we say, you know, hey, we're trying to model something or we're trying to build a new stat. These are our constraints. These are our unknowns. And this is where your input and your subject level expertise comes in. And I think that's a really interesting perspective out there because I think some of the resistance that ex- has existed in the NFL, the analytics, Brian, is... Uh, you know, like she mentioned there, a lot of people feel like analytics is more applicable in baseball um, or or that you can uh, get more out of the data than you can in the football world. And, and there are folks who say, look, the game still has to be played. It's a funny shaped ball. It takes weird bounces, whatever else. Uh, and, and so I think some resistance there has been the idea of don't come in here and think you can just play this game or understand this game on a calculator. But it seems like her perspective is, no, look, this is absolutely something that is useful in this sport. But also at the same time, these coaches, these scouts, everything else, they matter because they help us prepare for the unknown and those sort of variables that our analytics can't 
explain or, or, or that we can't factor into it. Um, and I think that that's something that would be very welcome from the Cowboys scouting staff and their personnel department and their coaching staff is, hey, this isn't somebody just coming in here telling us how to do things. This is somebody who uh, is trying to blend their research with what we need and, and with our input. Yeah, I think, Bobby, the, the thing that uh, is interesting that – and she appears to be very bright. I don't uh, – you know, I don't know her. Uh, I've, I've never really talked to anybody. I, I know I did, uh, you know, I reached out about when John Park got the job to some mm -hmm. people in the organization, and they were super positive about him and what he potentially could bring. I knew Tom Robinson and his background. So, yeah, you know, the, the thing with analytics to me, and this is where I think Molly can really, really help, and I, th it's turned into – a younger scouting department game, to be honest with you. The guys that, that I grew up with in scouting are now general managers, but they're also getting older. And so we're having to learn a really how analytics fit into, uh, into the evaluation and what it can do to help you, uh, you know, uh, have a better understanding of these players. And, you know, I, I just listen to her talk. I'm like, okay, Molly, explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I think that's where there's, there's, there's guys in football that have been brought up a certain way, and they, they have their beliefs and their understanding of how things should operate. How, you know, and, and it's not always right. There's some guys that are really, really good at this player evaluation stuff just because they can sit down and look at the tape and evaluate and say – this guy's got this traits. I think one of the great things about, you know, was working with Jerry Jones is that we always had to explain it in a way of, Jerry, this guy reminds me of somebody that he's seen. You yeah. know, and that, you know, numbers numbers will tell you certain things about in comparison of players. But one of the best comparisons ever has been the ability to say, this guy reminds me of. And I, you know, I will never forget this sitting in the room with, uh, with Jim Garrett, Jason Garrett's dad. I worked with Jim for, you know, six years there in scouting. And Jim one time described Drew Henson as potentially the next Troy Aikman. Now, you know, when we're in a meeting room and a scout says that, you know, all I remember was looking over at Jerry Jones when he said that room dead silent. Jerry had glasses on into the nose, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, really? You know, oh, really? And then you have a Stephen Jones. Well, Jim, expand on that, would you? You know, tell us what you think. And so, to me, the, the, the comparisons of players is my way of analytics. You know, my way of seeing uh, if you said, this guy is, well, he reminds me of. This guy reminds me of. And but, you know, you have these, these folks, these new analytics folks that are coming into the game, and instead of telling you who they remind you of, they're saying their numbers maybe remind them of somebody. You know what I'm saying? The numbers, yeah. instead of the evaluation, the eye test, the evaluation of the numbers, the way we use numbers in the early 90s and through the 90s into the 2000s were – we use numbers as comparisons to 40-yard dash times, short shuttle times and stuff. But now these, these analytics, she's talking about creating models that you can maybe give yourself a little bit better understanding 
of who this player is. But, man, I'll tell you what, there was, there was nothing better at the time than being able to say, this guy reminded me of. And when you were able to paint that picture and say that, like, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about there. But, man, I'll tell you, these, these, these analytics folks, hey, they're coming in, they're young, they're teaching uh, the older evaluators something that we really never, ever, ever believed that we'd ever uh, you know, use as an evaluation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, and she talked a little bit later on, um, not just about you know, some of the player personnel stuff, but maybe you're just helping create models for game plans or things like that. And one of the things she talked about was how it's really important that when she goes into a project, she may have certain things that she's interested in researching or finding out. But one of the clips here, she talks about how whatever she's researching, she has to make sure that it's really relevant to a coach or a coordinator. I have so many ideas for analysis, but I have to be cognizant of the fact of, you know, I have my own ideas, but what in this moment is relevant to a coach and to a scout? Let's say we want to look at routes versus certain coverages. So if I were to go to an advanced scout or if I were to go to a coach or a coordinator, I would look at them and I'd say, you know, did you know that the data shows that <laughs> running four verts against the cover three is one of the most efficient plays in football? They'd look at me and be like, okay, like, welcome to 2015. Like, that, that's not that's not relevant and that's not insightful and that's not useful. So I think as somebody who is a presenter of information, I have to you know take the time to learn what is actually useful and what's going to actually move the needle. A lot of trade-off. Yeah, a lot of trade-off. She's she's trying to learn coaches who a lot of them are guys that are my age, you know, guys and gals that are, man, there's some younger you know, female coaches in the league, but the male coaches she deals with are generally probably didn't have a lot of work with analytics. So she has to be able to present it in a way that the coaches can benefit from it. But the coaches on the flip side have to be able to present to her you know, the, the things, the, uh, the points of a player, a formation, a play, they have to be willing to trade with her like, okay, this is why we would do this. And then that would help her with her models in turn. And, and she's absolutely right. You, the last thing you want to do is go into a room and talk over people's heads. You know, it just, you just don't, it just never works well because what happens is everybody walks out of the room and they get in their little groups and they talk about, Jesus, Molly gal, she's way over her head. She's this, she's that, you know, you want to be able to have a way of kind of explaining uh, or being able to work together. There, there is going to be some pushback from her. There's no question there's going to be pushback of these coaches that don't quite understand analytics, but the really smart ones will adapt with her and help her and and they'll benefit from her being with the team. One of the topics that comes up with analytics frequently is the idea of the running game and how much running backs matter. And it's been a big analytical cry in the last several years that, you know, running backs are not nearly as important as people once believed. And and in fact, they're they're pretty much useless. Some people would try and say uh, interesting clip here from Sarah Molly Pye, where she was asked about the idea of 
you know, what is her biggest evolution that she's had uh, since going from just an outside analytics person to somebody who gets inside of a building and understands their process a little bit better. And Sarah said one of the things that she's found is that running backs matter a lot more than she once thought they did. So the, the idea behind running backs don't matter is running backs are replaceable because so much of their production is related to the offensive line blocking for them and the number of defenders in the box. So I think my perspective kind of changed on that and seeing how when an offensive line blocks for a running back, once you get to that second or that third level defender and you're one-on-one with them, are you a back that is able to either shake that tackle or if you get wrapped up, shake that guy and then create more yards. And I think if something's not perfectly blocked and your offensive lineman has a bad block, are you a guy that has the vision to be able to change your point of attack and fight for more yards? And even on a perfectly blocked run play, if it's a perfectly blocked read and you have that unblocked edge defender and your quarterback makes the handoff, you know, are you a back that's fast enough to be able to outrun that unblocked edge defender? Again, I think some guys are better at that than others. So it sounds like one of her big evolutions here is, look, I, you know, it doesn't sound like she thinks the running back is the most important player on, on the field, but it sounds like, you know, this blend of analytics and coaching and everything else that where these worlds meet a little bit, she's saying, hey, one of the things I've learned from the personnel department side and some of these other things is there are, you know, here are three factors right here that I just named off where a running back's ability matters more than just what's blocked for him. Yeah, I, I really, you know, with Sarah, she's done a nice job about that's the whole thing about being able to understand and to adapt and 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 you know, you have to keep an open mind about this. This just goes back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier that, you know, analytics will tell you that they make that backs make uh defenders avoid this many times and whether it's right or left or whatever. But this is one of those positions that kind of goes back to the eye test. You know, when you go back and you, you know, you can say, Sarah, yeah, I, I'm digging what you're saying. I, I totally see the percentage here of making miss and all that. And, you know, because that's, those, that's one of those positions where you will evaluate and you'll say, man, that Bijan Robinson, look how many guys, you know, I mean, I, I don't need a number to tell me that. I don't need a number yeah. to say what he is because I know watching tape that, that Kansas State couldn't tackle him and Oklahoma State couldn't tackle him and Alabama couldn't tackle him. And, you know, so that that's, to me, the running back is that one position. I love what she's doing with the wide receiver stuff. I think that's, you know, the, the, the talk about routes and combinations and all those things. I think that's a, I think that's a huge, huge help. But to me, the running back is the one position where really analytics is not, you know, they could talk about, well, he does well against stack box or, you know, he does better against light box or he makes people miss. Uh, that's one of those old school, I'm just watching the tape and I'm watching guys just not tackle this guy. Yeah, and I, and, and I think that that's one of the, the things that she's sort of getting at there is that her hard analytics side made her believe a certain thing about right, runners. When right. she got in and saw the personnel department, she went, yeah, you know what, there are these factors here that, are, are more important than just the analytics saying this is what gets blocked for you. These are yeah. traits that are maybe a little immeasurable or right. or even if you can't measure it, it's something that should be weighted a little bit it more. Was, yeah, it was clear to every Dallas Cowboy fan that when Ezekiel Elliott was handing the was handed the ball and then Tony Pollard was handed the ball, and then the argument was, well, he's gaining a yard, a yard and a half more, two yards more than what Zeke's. You know, you could see it with your own eyes. You, you you knew that one back was making defenders miss him, and the other back wasn't. 
You know, yeah. I mean, that to me is that to me is the it, where, you know, analytics. Sure. There's there's a model for all that. But then there's also the model of like, you know what? I'm watching this guy run and that number 20 looks like he's making more people miss on tape than that number 21 is. And yeah, and but I, that, but that's good though. I, I just think it's a, it's really a two way street here. I, sure. I mean, I'd love to be in a department now. I mean, I've been out, you know, I've been out since 05 and so much has changed over the years. I'd love to be able to go back in and with an open mind say, Oh, because I'm a big believer in running backs. I really, really am. I think they're, I think they're super important and I get in, fights, arguments, discussions with guys all the time about this because I think there's an important factor for a Bijan Robinson. I think that, you know, it, it, you know, talk about handing the ball to a guy that's a difference maker. Look what the Falcons have done. They've taken two positions that really in the last couple of drafts that really shouldn't, I mean, they took a tight end high and they took a back high, Yeah, you know? But watch what Atlanta does on offense. They're gonna, they ran the ball exceptionally well last year. They'll probably run the ball even better this year. You know, I mean, just because I think there's, I think there's a, a, there's an importance to being able to do that. Does it always translate into wins? People will say probably not, Brian. But I just think that you have to have that ability to take pressure off your quarterback with a quality running game. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think some of those factors she talked about that she's, kind of adjusted on making guys miss at the second and third level. If somebody's unblocked, being able to shake a tackler, yeah. do whatever else talking about, even if it's blocked, well, that edge defender running free on an option, can you outrun them to the corner? It's funny that when you talk about all three of those factors, I think we'd all agree. Tony Pollard was stronger in those areas. Much than stronger. And so Much stronger, yeah. it, it sort of speaks to that uh, final clip here. Uh, and, and similar discussion, just from the other side of the ball, she talks about how another evolution she's had is believing that, run defense is more impactful than she once thought specifically from defensive tackles and how in turn that can help the pass coverage. I think analytically, sometimes people split out run defense and pass defense and pass defense being pass rush and pass coverage and then coming in house and kind of seeing how those two kind of blend together. So it's sticking to in the trenches with the defensive line, those big boys that play in between the tackles, um, your, your noses and your three tacks. So primarily they're thought of as run stuffers. And a lot of people think you shouldn't invest in those guys because you shouldn't really invest a lot into run defense in general. But I think if you think of it in terms of run defense and pass defense kind of blending together if you have guys that play really really stout at the line mm-hmm. and take away those interior gaps and now you know you have the back that's able to uh, move more laterally than you have your second and your third level defenders now they have the time to come crashing down and make those tackles so then that actually leads to not needing as many defenders in the box so then you're putting another guy in coverage or another guy rushing so in that sense investing in those guys and having those guys play really well at the line and run defense actually ends up helping you numbers wise in fast coverage so it sounds like she thinks even if you don't get a lot of great pass rush from Mozzie Smith, Mozzie Smith, if he eats things up on the interior, that's actually going to free things up for the pass coverage. Makes that uh, Leighton Vanderish a lot better run into the football. I mean, when you, when you do not have to fight blocks as you're playing laterally, there that makes a big, big difference. When you get guys, remember how many times, like with the Sean Lees and guys like that, you could you could read as quickly as they could read they're there. They're downhill. And you guys like that, Sean Lee, sometimes they have to have that ability because it's not block grade or excuse me, it's not defended grade up front. They're not holding up blocks and stuff. But you get a guy that gets protection and you know from allowed to flow 
and and can understand by reading scheme what's going on, like a Leighton Vanderesh, guy's going to make every single tackle. The, the, the good ones are able to do that, especially when they have guys you know inside, like she's talking about at the one and the three. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.